extra, extra, read all about it. That used to be the way that the news was communicated. There would be somebody out in the street shouting, holding up newspapers for people to buy. That was the main source of the news and the way that it was announced. And through the years, there certainly has been a lot of unexpected news announced to us through the decades. The stock market collapse and the start of the Great Depression, that was certainly extra, extra news worthy of attention that everybody needed to hear and see and read. And the attack on Pearl Harbor was certainly another one, unexpected and terrible. JFK's assassination, 9-11, Lots of unexpected tragedies and crisis and horrible situations that stopped everyone where they were, stopped life as everyone knew it. And for those moments and days and weeks and months and years, all the attention of the world was on those events, the unexpected, unforeseen that now dominated everyone's life no matter who they were or where they were. Even more personally impacting for many of you, think about all of those epic birth announcements you've either been part of personally or you've seen on social media of some way. And the trend on those seems to be that the more surprising the announcements, the better, right? The more unexpected, the more creative, the more dramatic. But without question, Without any question, the most unexpected news announcement in history, which was also the most epic birth announcement ever made, happened over 2,000 years ago in a rural Middle Eastern countryside. That's what we're going to talk about today. As we continue in our Christmas series, Unexpected, we're going to talk about an unexpected announcement. An unexpected announcement. And I invite you to look at Luke chapter 2 with me. We'll be zeroing in on verses 8 through 20. Luke 2 verses 8 through 20. As you're getting there, let me just set the context a little bit for you. We talked last week as we started about the unexpected plan that was revealed by Gabriel to Mary and probably the same angel to Joseph in his dreams about God's plan to bring his promised Messiah finally, fully to everyone. And he was going to do it through the most unlikely of means, a poor virgin, young, young woman, and a poor carpenter. And he was going to do it in dramatic fashion. And he gave that announcement. They both submitted to that unexpected just incredible, unbelievable plan. Well, in this passage, before we get into our main text here, what's happened is that that promised delivery has happened. Mary has given birth to the the promised Savior, to Jesus, in very unlikely conditions from what people would expect. It's another unexpected thing in terms of how the baby was born. And he was born, and all of the promise was fulfilled. All of the uncertainty surrounding that pregnancy was now seen and embraced. And so that's happening in Bethlehem. And what takes place 
around that is what we are looking at together today. Verse 8. In the same region, so the same region as Mary has given birth to Jesus, outside of Bethlehem, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Nothing out of the ordinary there, right? That part itself is not unexpected. That's what shepherds do. They keep watch over their sheep, right? Pretty normal, pretty regular, pretty mundane. This is what happens every day and every night all throughout the Middle East. This is what is expected, that there would be shepherds keeping watch over their sheep. But what we see and what we're certainly going to see as we go forward in the text, this right away shows us something very important, something that I hope will be of great encouragement to you. And that's this. The God of the extraordinary shows up in very ordinary circumstances. The God of the extraordinary, and He is. Look at all that we are able to know about God through His Word, and all we're able to see, all that is demonstrated. He is absolutely the God of the extraordinary. Wouldn't you agree? Haven't you seen that at work in your life? Haven't you seen the way that God is incredibly extraordinary in your life? The God of the extraordinary shows up in very ordinary circumstances. And that should be very encouraging. That means that we don't have to wait for the extraordinary circumstance, as we might call it, or as we might define extraordinary. We don't have to wait for some spectacular, sensational, once-in-a-lifetime moment to experience and encounter God. He shows up, as extraordinary as He is, He shows up in very, very ordinary circumstances. In the regular, the routine of our day-to-day life. And that, my friends, that is very good news. Very good news. And we're going to see how that plays out as we go forward. Look at verse 9 with me. Then, so there's the ordinary, there's the regular, shepherds doing what they're supposed to do. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Yeah, I would say they were. Wouldn't you be? I mean, you're just minding your own business, keeping your business, which is watching over sheep. It's dark. It's quiet except for the baa of sheep, you know, the smell of sheep. That's what's going on. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's this bright, glorious being with the glory of heaven cascading from him all around you. Yeah, terrified's a good word. And they were terrified. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And that certainly is good news. That this angel was not pronouncing or proclaiming judgment or wrath from God, rather quite the opposite. He was proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the good news that Millions had been waiting for, for centuries. And, and here in this phrase, we see another aspect of just how good this news is that was going to be proclaimed. And it's the same good news that, that you have heard and that I know many of you have accepted, praise God. And it's the same good news that needs to be proclaimed. And that is that God wants 
to make it known that he is for all people. He's not for a select elite group. There's, there's not some sort of prerequisite that has to be matched or met. No, the good news of God and the, the joy that is promised that he alone can provide is for all people. Hallelujah, right? That's the message of Christmas. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And here's the, here's the good news. Here's what was being proclaimed. Verse 11. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. Jesus is a personal Savior. Not only is the news about Him, the good news about Him for all people, but He is an individual, a personal Savior. Yes, He is the Savior for all that come to Him, and He came into the world to save the world, but He is at the same time, a very personal, very individual Savior. The Savior was born for you. Who is the Messiah? In other words, the promised one. The one that's been prophesied about. He's here. He's come. And not only is He the promised Messiah, the Deliverer that Israel had been looking for, look what else the angel says about Him. Who is the Messiah? The Lord. Don't miss that. They certainly didn't. By the angel declaring that this Savior, this promised Messiah, was also the Lord, he was letting them know, this is God come near. This is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. This is the same person, the divine person, that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And when Moses said, What will I say to my fellow Israelites when I go back and tell them what you want me to tell them? Who will I say spoke to me? Who will I say is sending me? And he said, I am. Tell them I am sent you. That's the same name. Yahweh. The divine, self-existent one for all of eternity. He's here. He's among you. He is Emmanuel. So it's not just the promise of deliverance. It's the announcement, a very unexpected announcement in the way that it was done, that this promised one was none other than God Himself in the flesh among the people He came to save. In verse 12, this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby. It's another unexpected aspect of this announcement. He didn't come as this fully grown warrior king, which is what some people expected, even though that's not what was prophesied, even though that's not what God had promised or pointed people to. It still was something that people came up with and decided was what was going to happen and what they should be expecting. So in that sense, it was still unexpected. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, and lying in a manger. More on that in a few moments. We're going to come back to that because those details are too important to not share what's really going on with that expression, with that communication of that part. Verse 13, as if that wasn't enough, as if the sudden appearance of this one angel and what he said wasn't enough. I mean, you already have this unexpected, spectacular announcement. That would have been enough, right? 
Then, verse 13 says this, Suddenly, so just as suddenly as that first angel appeared, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people He favors. This church was the armies of heaven. When it says the heavenly host, that means it was the armies of heaven that were there. They appeared. They were invading our space. But this wasn't an invading army to bring judgment and to bring destruction. This was the armies of heaven invading the stillness and the ordinary of earth to bring news of peace. This was an army of peace, not of war. And they were bringing glory to God as they always do. That's what angels do. And they were inviting these people, shepherds of all people, into that glory and into that praise. And pronouncing and proclaiming, finally, peace. Peace that everybody wants. Peace that everybody looks for and longs for and looks in the wrong places for. The thing that people try to manufacture and bring about on their own and fail at miserably. Finally, shalom was made manifest. And that's what people still look for. People are still searching for peace. They're still desperate for it. They're hungry for it. They're looking all over the place for it. They're looking in terms of presence. How many presents is it going to take for me to feel and be at peace? Well, it's going to take a lot more than anybody could ever pay for or provide. What is it going to take to find peace? What's the method that's going to finally give me peace? The peace that I'm looking for and longing for. I'll look here. I'll look there. Is it going to be in this person? Is it going to be in this relationship? Is it going to be in this job, in this location? No. The peace that everybody needs, at their core, they feel the need for, it's only going to be found in the God of peace. So the same message that was given long ago to these unlikely people, it's the same message that we have the chance to hear to receive, to apply, and then to go and proclaim. Culturally speaking, it was an amazing thing that when God the Father sent the angels to announce the incarnation of His Son, that instead of the priests and the Pharisees or other powerful and prominent people, that he first sent them to common shepherds. Culturally speaking, that was unheard of and very much unexpected. Because in the culture of that day, shepherds weren't exactly looked at as prominent or important. Quite the opposite. They were looked at as being very much lower class, second rate. So much so that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, would not even accept as worthy or valid the testimony of shepherds in a court situation. They wouldn't even count as a regular witness or as a valid witness. They were discounted. They were looked at as untrustworthy, unsavory. And certainly the ruling class and the wealthy looked down on them. They were looked at you know, as dirty, as grimy, as uh, somebody that they wouldn't want to have in their regular social circles and spaces. 
But when you look at the pattern in Scripture, when you contrast the culture of the day and the way they looked at shepherds, and you look at the pattern in Scripture and the history of those God used in very spectacular ways, you see a difference. Because many times, it was shepherds. It was people with similar common or lowly standings in society that God used in really amazing ways. God seems to all throughout Scripture have a special place in His heart for the shepherd. Certainly the most famous of all shepherds for the Jewish people would have been the shepherd king, David. But there were others. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, Moses even. Shepherds had a pretty prominent place in history, and especially with what God did with them, using them despite their cultural position or their status in society. And it's the shepherds that he sent the angels to make this incredible announcement that finally, after all the silence, 400 years of silence, where no prophet was heard of, no big spectacular vision from God, Now, that silence is broken with the appearance and the announcement of angels. And who broke that silence? It was the angels, and who did they break it to? Of all people, shepherds. This points to two very important things that are incredibly relevant to us, incredibly applicable, and incredibly good news in and of themselves. The fact that the angels appeared to the shepherds and announced to them what they did, tells us that God doesn't submit to society's status quo. And I am very, very thankful for that. The status quo of the day, the culture, the norm for the culture was that shepherds would have been the last to hear any really important thing. That's just not who people went to. When you were looking to announce something important, something special, when you wanted news proclaimed, you didn't go to shepherds. They weren't the ones you went to. And you certainly, in the culture of the day, of that time, didn't put a lot of stock in what shepherds would say. So the fact that God did what he did in this way, coming to the shepherds, appearing to them, giving them the announcement, it shows us that God doesn't submit to society's status quo. And it also tells us this about God, and this is very, very good news as well, that's that God has use for those the world considers useless. Praise God for that. God has use for those the world considers useless. And both of those are incredibly important things to remember and to apply and things to praise Him for. Because look around, look at our society, look at the culture that we're in, look at what the norms are, culturally speaking, look at the status quo of our society. I think more than ever, it's a really good thing that God doesn't submit to society's status quo, don't you? And what is considered cultural norms. It's a very good thing that God stands in contrast to all of that with all that is going on. 
And I personally am very, very grateful, and I, I think you would be as well, I hope you are, that God finds use and has use for those the world considers useless. Because there's not many of us that from the world's perspective, with what they value and consider useful, there's not many of us that the world would look at and say, oh, wow, they are really useful. They have a lot that I want to listen to. There's a lot about them that I, I want to be drawn to. They have a lot of value. Man, look how valid what they say is. There's just not a lot of us that that would be true of in terms of how the world views things. But thankfully, our use and our being used isn't up to what the world considers useful. It's what God considers useful, what he finds as valuable, and it's the people that he raises up to use for his purposes. That's what's important. And I am very glad for that. I hope you are as well. Well, I said I wanted to come back to verse 12 because as simple as that might seem as we read the verse and we see that the baby was wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger, I mean, that might seem like pretty routine to us. And we certainly hear lots of songs about that. We see greeting cards with that. We see all sorts of nativity displays with that. And so that can become kind of just, eh, that's okay. Yeah, of course. Right. But like an iceberg, there's a whole lot beneath the surface of this verse. And the fact that Jesus was wrapped tightly in cloth and laid in a manger. At his birth, Jesus was most likely, wait for it, placed in a stone manger instead of the wooden ones, which we usually see in nativity scenes. Now, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to burst your holiday tradition bubble, but that's probably what took place here, especially considering where Jesus was born. He was born in a cave, not a wooden thatched roof stable. You know, he was born in a cave where the animals were kept. It's another reason that the manger was most likely what it was. And here's where it gets really good. People that really study those kinds of minute historical details, you know, in their life, the historian types like Mr. Cuthbert over here, and the theologian types, most people that really look closely at the events described here believe that the shepherds in the region of Bethlehem weren't just any regular, normal family shepherds. Most believe that those shepherds, which the angels appeared to, watched over the lambs used specifically for the Passover sacrifice. Doesn't that just give you kind of chills running up and down? Specifically for the Passover sacrifice. What was Jesus sent to be? He was sent to be the final, the full, the perfect, the ultimate Passover lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Remember that statement? John the Baptist looking at Jesus. He was the promised one. He's the one that all the Passovers pointed to and pictured. So here, on this normal night, with these shepherds watching over the sheep, which were special sheep, most likely used for the Passover sacrifice, 
the angels came to announce that the final Passover lamb was given and provided. So, because of the fact that these were special lambs used for a special purpose, not just any lambs would do. They had to be spotless, unblemished lambs. And to help make sure that was the case, to make sure they stayed spotless, the shepherds would wrap, and the owners of the sheep, would wrap them tightly in cloth and put them in stone mangers to keep them safe. Wow. (laughs) Right? This is a jaw-dropping moment. So, like everything else God does, it was not a coincidence that the angels came to the shepherds first and the ones in those fields in particular. I mean, you see the connection, right? That, That if these weren't any ordinary lambs and sheep, then these weren't any ordinary shepherds and these weren't any ordinary fields. It was all special. It was all designated. And so the angels came, of all the shepherds and the sheep, watching the sheep that they could have come to, they came to these shepherds watching those sheep in those fields. So it's very safe to say that these shepherds understood the connection with all that the angels were announcing. And that probably added to their excitement. Don't you think it would? As these light bulbs are going off, I think that would add to their excitement. I think that adds to what we see in the rest of the narrative. Let's look at verse 15. So all of that has transpired. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, which was just as suddenly, they suddenly appeared, they suddenly went, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off, which means they would have left their sheep where they were, by the way. They suddenly weren't the most important thing to them in the world anymore. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. Not only because it was a very unexpected announcement in and of itself, but because of who they heard it from. Remember, culturally, how shepherds were viewed. And so the fact that this announcement, as spectacular as it was, came from the lips of shepherds added to the amazement factor, the the fact that it was so unexpected. But report it, they did. Verse 19, But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned back to their flock, back to their job, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. My friends, isn't it good that what God says and does is always reliable and trustworthy? I mean, no matter how unexpected it seems to be, what God says and does always trustworthy. It's always reliable. It's always good. It's always good. 
And the shepherds certainly experienced that. Oh, these shepherds. <laughs> I can't wait to meet them. You know, when I'm there in glory, there's so many I want to meet, and who knows. When we get there, most likely what we look forward to now on this side of eternity really won't be the same things we're really excited about then. But if it's the same, I can't wait to meet the shepherds and, and really get their eyewitness account of this. But in the meantime, the shepherds show us some things. In the meantime, we can still learn from the shepherds and what they witnessed. So here's a couple things that the shepherds show us. They show us that meeting Jesus personally will produce a passion for proclaiming him to others. Meeting Jesus personally will, must, produce a passion for proclaiming him to others. I mean, think back to what happened with the shepherds. They didn't have to be told to go and proclaim the good news about Jesus. That's not what the angel said. The angel appeared. He said, don't be afraid. I've got really good news for you. The Savior that you and everybody has been looking for and waiting for, the Messiah, who is, by the way, the Lord himself, he's been born for you. And then the angels appeared. They praised God. They gave glory to God. And they left. They didn't say, make sure you go and tell other people about this. They didn't have to say that, right? I mean, they couldn't keep from going. As soon as the angels left, they didn't hold court with one another and decide and debate if what they had heard and seen was true. They didn't need to look at each other and say, okay, um, Joe, did you see what, what I just saw? Okay, good. So I'm not crazy. They didn't have to talk about the legitimacy of it. They didn't have to, to talk about whether you know, they all had gotten some bad mushrooms or something. They didn't have to debate what they were going to do about this announcement. No, they just went. They went to see, and then they went to tell. That's what happened. It was a natural, natural response to all they had personally experienced. You see that, right? Natural response to all they had personally experienced. They could not help but proclaim what they had just witnessed and experienced. And that's how it's supposed to be for us too. That's how it's supposed to be for us too. Here's the other thing that the shepherds show us. It's connected to that first one. You can't be passionate about something you haven't personally experienced. You just can't. You can't be passionate about something you haven't personally experienced. And we know this in life. I mean, this is a very practical reality. Think about a new restaurant. You find a new restaurant, you really like it, you're passionate about it. What do you do? You go and you tell people about it. Oh man, you've got to go try this new restaurant. It was amazing. But you can't do that if you've not been. And even hearing about that great new restaurant really doesn't mean much to you until you go and you try it, and you share the opinion. Same with uh, new TV shows or movies that come on that you haven't seen before, and you see, and you can't wait to tell other people about it that you know would like it. That's how it was with me with The Chosen, by the way. And by the way, if you haven't seen The Chosen yet, what's wrong with you? Come on. You need to watch The Chosen. Season 3 comes out this week. Can't wait. 
You see a new TV show, a new movie, and you just love it, and just really, you're like, wow, I've got to go tell somebody about it. Or a new vacation spot. You find a new vacation spot, you have a great vacation, you can't wait to go home and tell people so they can find out. You, like, you've got to go to this vacation spot. Next time you go on vacation, I've got the place for you, let me tell you about it. Why then is it, Christian, that we just can't seem to get that passionate about the greatest news of all of eternity? Where is the same level of passion for the promised peace and hope and joy and life and salvation that everyone wants? that everybody's looking for, and that everybody needs. We, if we have come to Christ, which I know most, if not all of you, have, we have been given, we have received, we have personally applied the greatest news and source of everything good that has ever existed or been announced. And yet we often, I mean most of the time, find it easy to be passionate about everything else except that. Oh, God have mercy on us. That brings me to a very important question. Have you personally encountered Jesus? Have you personally experienced His life-changing glory and grace? Have you personally encountered the Jesus the shepherds did? And have you personally experienced His matchless glory and grace, which is life-changing? If not, now is your chance. Now, today. That's why you came, I promise you. That's why you are here today. If you have not yet personally encountered this Jesus. If so, if what I said a couple minutes ago is right, that most, if not all of you have, if so, if you have personally encountered Jesus, if you have personally experienced his life-changing glory and grace. Here's my question to you with that. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Who are you proclaiming him to? If you've encountered him personally, who are you proclaiming him to? That's the questions I leave with you. Only you can answer them. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for being who You are, how You are, doing what You do. Thank You for not submitting to society's status quo. Thank You for having use for all of us that the world would look at and say, wow, how useless. Thank You for... For though you are so extraordinary, I mean, you, you are extraordinary beyond comprehension. 
and yet you show up in very ordinary, regular, day-to-day circumstances, and you meet us there. Thank you. Father, I pray that you would help us to be like the shepherds, to not have to be told to go and proclaim about Jesus, but to not be able to help from it. That we would be personally very, very passionate to proclaim what we know. Point us to the people that need to hear it. But Father, help us to remember we don't have to look very far. They're all around us. Help us just to be proactive in proclaiming the good, good news of Your Son and the rescue and the redemption that He alone provides. It's in Jesus' name and for His name that I pray. Amen.